1: What did the singer Billie Holiday, the journalist Murray Kempton, the aviator Amelia Earhart, and the boxer Benny Leonard have in common? All of them lived in the sections of Manhattan's Upper West Side, called Bloomingdale and Morningside Heights, located between Central Park and the Hudson River from the West 90s to West 125th Street. 600 residents of this part of Manhattan are profiled in Jim Mackin's encyclopedic book, Notable New Yorkers of Manhattan's Upper West Side, Bloomingdale Morningside Heights, published by Fordham University Press. Together, their stories form a kaleidoscopic portrait of two chunks of Manhattan, how they've changed over time, and how they help us understand the history under our feet. I'm Rob Snyder, Manhattan Borough historian and professor emeritus of American Studies and Journalism at Rutgers University. I'm talking with Jim Mackin, co-leader of the Bloomingdale Neighborhood History Group and founder of Weekday Walks, which runs tours of New York City neighborhoods. We're here thanks to the Gotham Center for New York City History at the CUNY Graduate Center and the New Books Network. Welcome,
0: Jim. Thank you. You work in finance. How did you get interested in writing history? Well, I uh, worked with a lot of Fortune 500 companies, and I found out they all had art collections, and they all had tours of their plants and their facilities. And from those tours... I uh, developed a a tremendous interest in the history of industrial archaeology, and I became president of the Society for Industrial Archaeology in New York and New Jersey. But then I kind of focused in on local history here in Bloomingdale and Morningside Heights area. Now, do you live in that section of Manhattan? I do. I live right on uh, Riverside Drive at 109th Street since 1989, but my wife and I have lived on the Upper West Side since 1971. So what inspired you to get going on this kind of book with all these many peoples inside it? Well, a few years ago, I started collecting the names of famous people in our neighborhood that nobody really knew about. Everybody knew the Humphrey Bogards and the George and Ira Gershwins and the John Deweys. But I found some other really pleasant surprises. And with that, I started accumulating. Next thing you know, I had 100, I had 200 Uh, It's growing today. I have over 1,400 people. And the book, of course, has 591 notable people. It's addictive. I can't stop doing it. Um, And it's incredible depth for what we have in this neighborhood.
1: So I'm curious, the boundaries of New York City neighborhoods are highly subjective, yet they mean the world to the people who live or work in them. How did you make your choices and definitions on boundaries?
0: Well, we used to define uh, our Bloomingdale areas between 96 and 110, but as you probably know about, Robert, um, Bloomingdale really went from the West 30s all the way up to what George Washington called the Holloway, 125th, 126th Street, um, when the Dutch um, had New Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. But in modern times, a little community kind of centered around maybe 99th and Broadway that was Mm -hmm. beginning to be called uh, Bloomingdale so i started with that area but i absolutely stretched it a little bit of course morningside heights is is easy Uh, that's very well defined as 110th up to 125th but as i started compiling this for the book i wanted to include a couple of key players one of which was william fox everybody knows fox news 20th century fox and to do that i had to go down to 92nd street 91st street Robin Oppenheimer is another one. So Harry Houdini is another one. I stretched him a little bit east of Morningside Avenue. Even that's a little bit of a stretch. But, but I was careful not to violate the, the, um, the boundaries too much. But there are a, a few people, maybe about six people, that are kind of just on the periphery of what would be called Bloomingdale and Morningside Heights.
1: So what was your method for researching the history of Bloomingdale and Morningside Heights? Where did you Uh, go for source material?
0: Well, I I started with um, uh, directories, um, uh, the famous uh, um, uh, blue guides of New York City around the turn of the last century, and I literally went address by address. And if the name looked um, possibly notable, and I have a very – deep and wide interest and knowledge base of New York City. If the name looked like it might be a notable, then I did further research. Um, I then supplemented that with a lot of obituaries and newspapers, uh, looking at a lot of censuses, a lot of um, online primary sources like telephone directories and public records and, and, and that type of thing. The challenge was more with some people who lived in a few addresses in the neighborhood. Um, But there's plenty of sources. And in fact, I continue to find people even in my book who now lived at some other place in our neighborhood. So there's no surprise in, in, in those discoveries. Were there any libraries that were particularly helpful to you? Oh, the, the New York Historical Society for sure, but my primary library uh, usage was New York Society Library over on East 79th Street. They, they're just fabulous. So, so many notable people have biographies about them, um, but they're long gone, not easy to find, but New York Society Library pretty much has all of that stuff on the shelf just like I know it's eventually going to have your Murray Kempton biography on their shelf. (laughs) Any historians that you talked with along the way who were helpful to you? Yeah, one in particular, uh, Bob McKahie, who's a professor um, at Barnard College. He's written Stan Columbia, which is the definitive Columbia history, and he's written the history of Columbia's engineering school. And he's recently, just last uh, summer, published the history the definitive history of uh, Barnard College um, so I found him to be a wonderful source of uh, information
1: now you write that you had close to 1300 possible entries and you had to get that down to about 600 how did you do that what criteria did you use
0: well that was pretty easy um, in addition to writing uh, the biographies um, and you know I forced myself into basically one paragraph and I, I try to have a a teaser opening line, so to speak. Um, but with that, I also assembled all of my biographies as I accumulated them in a simple spreadsheet. And I gave them certain characteristics. Um, and uh, as you know, maybe from the book, there there are four um, uh, designations that I give to many of the notables. They're, they're either superstars really at the top of their game, like a John Dewey or like a George Gershwin, for example or they're plaque-worthy. There are over 300 people in my book out of 591 that I I deem to be plaque-worthy. And then there's some people, a third designation is there's some people who just need to be better known. And then a fourth designation is um, a particular interesting story. So um, they're notable only because of their interest. One might be, for example, George Auger, who is thought to be the largest man in the world, eight feet, four tall, if, if we can believe that. Um, so uh, he's especially interesting. Um, and with that, I was able to simply cut off in the spreadsheet, if you think of it that way, a lot mm-hmm. of the people that uh, would not... Um, you know, get those type of designations. But there's some judgment involved, obviously. There, there's a few people that um, maybe should have been in the book and weren't and vice versa. Sure. Well, let's, let's look close up at
1: that now. I'm fascinated by these categories. I was absolutely blown away by how many interesting people lived in the area you looked at. People who I never would have put together all happened to live in this neighborhood. Who are some of the superstars that you found?
0: Well, um, obviously, a number of people at, at Columbia, what, what I found without uh, citing anybody in particular, is, is people who really founded the discipline of study uh, in the country, sociologists, um, uh, uh, statisticians. Um, uh, there's one, one fellow, Kasner, for example. He was walking on the other side of the Hudson River with another uh, fellow uh, professor of mathematician, and, and, um, and a youngster, I think he was nine years old at the time, and um, he asked the youngster to come up with a word for the largest number ever. The kid came up with the word Google. And so that's how we have the word Google today. So things like that kind of just make themselves known. Um, I, I, I got kind of addictive or I got, uh, got very um, compelled to find at least one very interesting thing about each person that most people wouldn't know. Um, And and that's what found a lot of these uh, things. Um, There's a fellow, Julius Chambers, on West 97th or 98th Street, for example, who I first read about, um, uh, who kind of tested the lunacy laws with respect to what was happening in the old Bloomingdale Insane Asylum, which was on the site that's now pretty much where Columbia is, and all of that was interesting and fascinating. But I later found out he gets credit for discovering the source of the Mississippi River. Hmm. So that's the type of thing that spurred me on to find that one extra kind of teaser thing about the person.
1: Can you think of some buildings that are worthy of a plaque, that don't have a plaque yet, that deserve one and why?
0: Oh, There's so many. The the Strathmore, for example, where, where you've got... Um, uh, uh, Virginia Gildersleeve, probably the best of all the um, uh, Barnard um, deans, George Delacourt, who's given so many things to the city in, in Central Park Zoo and uh, on Columbia's campus, but much, much else. Uh, Frank Hogan, the, the, f- the famous um, DA, then became um, city council president. Um, uh, uh, the suffragist, um, Mayor. Uh, Mary Garrett Hay and, mm-hmm. and, and her partner. Uh, but so many people are in that building. there's a few other buildings on the corner of where Claremont meets 116th, it's mm-hmm. it, it's, almost a, um, it's almost a soup of, of uh, Nobel Prize winners, <laughs> some of which still live there today. Of course, they're not in the book. I don't violate anyone's privacy, but that type of thing. Um, in Park West Village, a uh, number of very, I mean, we're talking Rachel's, Wilt Chamberlain, Coleman Hawkins, um, uh, Abby Lincoln, Duke Ellington, Jose Feliciano. And, and that, that's probably about a third of the people that, that uh, lived, at, notable people that lived in that area. So so there are some buildings and, and that don't have plaques and absolutely should, should have one. The, the few that I cited are, are just uh, some of the examples.
1: So you write in your book, the location of the neighborhood stays the same, but residents change over the years, creating a kaleidoscopic view of community and culture. And when it comes to different ethnic and social groups, what have been the big changes in Bloomingdale and Morningside Heights over the years?
0: Yeah, there's a famous map. Uh, not too many people are aware of it, but it's dated around 1919, which shows the ethnic... Um, the, it shows the blocks with uh, ethnicity... Labeled on the map at that point in time But if we go back earlier uh, Of course we had the Dutch here In the very earliest days And, and the Dutch um, Kind of intermingled with the English Over time and whatnot. And then with the, on, with the building of the um, Croton Aqueduct uh, The Germans and the Irish Enter the area In fact the Germans had a, a brewery The Lion Brewery in our neighborhood Probably the largest employer in Bloomingdale ever uh, and that was followed by um, Jews, Italians. There was even a French kind of um, intensive area in, like, between 111th and 116, 114th Street. Um, and then over time, obviously, um, Puerto Ricans followed by other Latino groups. And then what I'd like to give extra special attention to is the small African community on West 98th and 99th Street, and that's between Central Park West and Columbus Avenue. That's that's the, um, the that's the two blocks that gave us Marcus Garvey, Billie Holiday, Artur Schaumburg, uh, Burt Williams, arguably the greatest vaudevillian of all time, uh, and a bunch of others, Butterfly McQueen, et cetera, um, and and that gets, that, that's almost unknown. That gets no attention because nobody knows about it. Hopefully my book will spur a little bit of interest with that. Now, is that what some folks call the old community? That's right. The old community is a term of endearing affection, which comes out of the fact that the people who lived on those two blocks and got pushed out of the neighborhood by urban renewal, and of course we're talking Robert Moses and, and, and other people, uh, they got pushed out in 1955, but yet they still got together. They still assembled as as a, as a group um, up until, well, they're still doing it today. I'm not sure how many of them are still alive, but you know, it's like 65 years later, and there are still people that um, celebrate their heritage of living on those two blocks and they know the famous people that live there. And it's just fabulous that they do that. And there's one fella in the book, Jim terrain, who made all that happen. He passed away two years ago, but he's, he's, he's the fella that organized all this and, and did a lot of the original research, which uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to take advantage of.
1: Can you tell us a little bit more
0: about Jim terrain, who he was and how he worked and And what he he learned. learned? Well, he he was a regular working guy. He worked uh, in in the publicity area of Madison Square Garden for a while, but he also worked uh, down in the um, city controller's office. He worked in the Transit Authority in Brooklyn. Uh, But this takes us back to the 40s, 30s, 40s and 50s. Jim lived on West 99th Street, and, and when, when the street was very active, um, he seemed to take an interest in their history back there, and, and, the, and the, the African-Americans on the block were very well organized socially. Uh, in fact, they even had their same chapel. There's a kind of nasty piece of St. Michael's history where they've got to create a, a separate chapel uh, part of St. Michael's for the African-Americans living on West 99th Street because if they worshiped at, in St. Michael's Church, which still exists on, on Amsterdam and 99th, they had to sit in the balcony or in the back yeah. of the church. So, But anyhow, Jim Terrain uh, did all of that. And then when he got displaced, as, as all of his friends and neighbors did, uh, he, he got displaced to other public houses on the Lower East Side. He started organizing these reunions. And in doing that, he just kept it going and going and going, and more people volunteered information about what they remembered. So, so all of Jim's records are, are now in the Schomburg uh, uh, collection of the New York Public Library.
1: That's terrific. You know, I know the Bloomingdale Neighborhood History Group that you're part of has done a
0: lot of work, too. Are there records on the history of the neighborhood available anywhere? We don't have any primary records, but we've collected a a fair number of like uh, secondary sources, brochures and speeches and uh, even a few books. And we keep them in a file cabinet, which is temporarily in the Morningside Heights branch of the New York Public Library. But it'll return to the Bloomingdale uh, branch of the New York Public Library after their renovation.
1: That's great. That's great to know. You know, you're right that the importance of women in the neighborhood became more apparent as you did your research. How was that history hidden and how did you find it?
0: Well, uh, fortunately, there was a lot of attention last year because of the, the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. A lot of attention to the whole suffragist movement, including a lot of superb documentary films and whatnot. So my wife got a bit involved in that with, with uh, some historic presentations and whatnot, and and I, I certainly did also. And I was pleasantly surprised that a number of the suffragists uh, lived in our neighborhood. Uh, many of them were traveling all over the country because they were constantly advocating, and, and many of them got resident down in Washington, D.C. because they... Tried to put the screws to Wilson and, and various other politicos to, you know, stand behind the amendment. Uh, but in our neighborhood, we we had a, an excellent representation of that. And I might say, I think what kind of supplements that are people like Amelia Earhart who lived mm-hmm. in our neighborhood, um, and one of my old time favorites. Um, Eleanor Smith, who uh, I can't say enough about, she's the person who uh, holds a record, uh, almost like Joe DiMaggio's uh, record of 56 consecutive baseball games, um, six, uh, 56 games where he hits, gets a hit in consecutive games. Eleanor Smith uh, has a record that will never be broken, and that is she flew an airplane under f- all four bridges on the East River. So, wow. uh, yeah, another spectacular woman is um, Harriet Brooks. She's thought to be the first female nuclear physicist in the country. And the simple story of her is, uh, even though she personally knew Ernest, Sir Ernest Rutherford and, and Madame Curie, um, when she told the dean of um, Barnard at the time, Dean Gill, that uh, she had just gotten engaged, Dean Gill said, well, then you have to resign as a, uh, as a professor here at Barnard. So she went off into relative obscurity in her hometown of Montreal, Canada. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. boy. And there are many, many more women. Uh, um, we, we need we need to give more attention to them, we, and we need to find out um, uh, many more of them. A lot of um, women who created um, things like home economics and, and educational... Um, policies and reforms. The the list really goes on and on. Fortunately, my book has a fair number of them.
1: What do you think brought so many women of distinction to the neighborhood?
0: Well, uh, the neighborhood was more dynamic than other neighborhoods, maybe with the exception of Greenwich Village. Um, You and I know from being Manhattan residents, there was always, for many years, an east side-west side dichotomy. But the diversity of the West side rests on the fact that um, a lot of Broadway theater and I think even Greenwich Village intellectual types and whatnot tended to just be on the West side, which meant taking buses and subways that operated on the West side. Uh, And when you marry that thought, and, and maybe I'm extending this thought too much, but I don't think so. When you marry that thought with the obvious turnover in places like Teachers College, Columbia, Jewish theological, all the other institutions and whatnot, uh, along with ethnic changes, you know, neighborhood by neighborhood, block by block, you you, you can't help but get a, a tremendous amount of, um, of diversity, uh, and it feeds upon itself.
1: One of the things that strikes me as I thumb through the book is... How nicely designed it is. You use graphics, you use special categories, you use special sections, you use maps, you use photographs. How did you come through the process of making a reference book like this so navigable for the average reader?
0: Well, as, as I first accumulated um, the hundreds of notables in the book, I, I, I realized this might be taxing to the, to the regular reader. So <laughs> I started writing a few sidebars, little tidbits of history that I thought I knew about and maybe not too many other people uh, knew about. Um and next thing you know, I had like 30 or 40 sidebars. So it was then just a matter of um, how to pepper the book with, with those sidebars. And pretty much the same thing with pictures and, and images. Um, being a, a New York City historian uh, or New York City aficionado, I knew all of the common photographs that worked mm-hmm. their way into most books and whatnot. So, But I also know there was some stuff that would um, not be seen on any kind of regular basis. One is like the the water tower. If if you were taking a boat up the Hudson in, in nineteen hundred, probably the first thing that would have struck you in our neighborhood was this huge water tower on West Ninety Eighth Street. You might have also seen maybe some of the smokestacks of the Lion Brewery, but but the water tower, no very few people have ever seen the image of that water tower. So I, I wanted to get that there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, same thing with that fellow who was Joe uh, Jorger, eight feet four inches. I want to get a picture of him in the book. The Leakin Watts Orphanage, which is important for a number of reasons, like you know, even selling some of their land to create uh, or to enable the Cathedral of Saint John the Divine. Um, but not many people know about that, and and in fact, to this day, that the 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 remainder building uh, from the Leakin Watts Orphanage is the oldest structure in our large neighborhood. How do you anticipate people using this book? Well the first few people that used it uh did exactly what I hoped they would do. In fact I, I got phone calls in the middle of the night. One one fella, I don't know if you know the author, Josh Freeman, who's mm-hmm. written a number of books on New York City labor history mm-hmm. and social history, he calls me up and he says, hey, I used to live on 98th Street and I turned to that page, I had to I found it because it's in geographical order. And then he says, I couldn't put it down. I, I went to the buildings before that and I went to the buildings after that. And I just kept going and going and going and going. And, and indeed, two people right after that pretty much said the same thing. Of course, they opened to the block they lived on or the building, you know, where they resided. And, and then they started extending it to nearby stuff. And people are quite generally surprised at, at, at what they read and find out about who lived down the block or who lived around the block.
1: I remain endlessly fascinated as I thumb through the book. There are more people living there than I ever imagined and of a kind and variety that I think is really striking do you think the array of notable people who lived in Bloomingdale and Morningside Heights is unique to these neighborhoods, or are all New York City neighborhoods like this if we look close enough?
0: I I think all New York City neighborhoods. I'm so glad you asked that question. No one no one's ever asked that, and and yet I've entertained that idea in my mind. I would love to do if if I had um, a little bit of broader experience and the time. I would love to do Harlem. I would really? love certain parts of Queens, um, but but to to, to 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 underscore your question, the point of your question, just about anything you, you could find, and it may not be giant, notable, superstar people. It may be other items of interest that people today just don't know about, but have much to learn about.
1: What next projects do you have in mind?
0: Well, I am. Uh, I've started writing a second book, and. Um, it's going to connect a uh, very important New York City person whose name I don't want to reveal yet, but it's going to connect him with something called the Pomeroy family. Um, I, I happen to, uh, my wife and I have a humble country cabin 100 miles north of New York City in Columbia County, and I'm president of the Friends of Taconic State Park, a 7,000-acre beautiful park, great hiking, et cetera, but embedded in it is a historic ironworks, the Copake Ironworks, very close to, if you know, Bashfish Falls, Mm -hmm. and and the Copake Ironworks um, is now a national registered historic site and we're doing some wonderful things. And we have a museum and, and many other things. But the family that established that, the Pomeroy family, is very renowned. And they connect in a very, very interesting way to this very, very important. And I'm, I'm, I, I can't say that strongly enough. This very, very important New York City historical person. Okay.
1: I won't ask you to reveal any secrets. I, I know that <laughs> when we do it, it's going to be really well-researched and really interesting as well. Jim, thanks for being with us today for the Gotham Center for New York City History and the New Books Network.